Today's episode is brought to you by Diane Kinlaw of Go Prime Mortgage and Jamie Tulak of EXP Realty. When I'm reading through other people's feed and they're complaining about their boss, they're complaining about yeah. having to go to work, they're complaining about, oh, another Monday. Dude, I don't have that problem. Yeah. I wake up on Monday morning like, all right, what do we got? What do we have going this week? You know, so let's say hypothetically, you have always wanted to work as a farmer. You know, you're this high paid uh, financial advisor and you're just done. You're ready to become a farmer and it's going to be hard. But you wake up every morning, you get to do what you've been wanting to do for years or it's just something it felt right. Or let's say you were a farmer and you always had a dream of being a financial advisor. So you know those are going to be some lean years at the beginning. You're helping people build their wealth. You're helping right. people to make changes in their life. You feel passionate about it. If you're feeling passionate about it, you can see you're making changes in other people's lives or you're doing something that you've always dreamed of doing. Then it doesn't feel as so much like work. You're living your dreams. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe. Today, Josh is out. He's, he's watching his son who's a little under the weather. But in the studio today, we have Joe Navarro. And I'm really excited and honored that you are in here with us today. I want to start by giving a little bit of synopsis from what I picked up from your website. Joe loves helping people break free of the mysterious do-it-on-your-own cowboy persona and ask for help. People can end up going their whole life not doing the things they really want to do, and he knows it's true because it was true for him. He says he spent the first 30 years of his life as a spectator. Eventually, he decided to break out of his shell, and after working on a shy, introverted personality, he was able to live the life he always wanted. Joe, welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Thank you so much. My latest book is actually Grow Your Network, Grow Your Business, oh, okay. uh, which is available on Amazon. And I just recently was able to get a number one best-selling author status through Amazon. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, in two categories. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. what did that feel like? You get an email from Amazon? I got uh, I got a special emblem <laughs> on the page of my book where my book where you could get my book. I okay. think the special emblem was there for about a day or two. Oh really? Yeah it looked kind of cool and then it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you just did an event here at Vibe. We're recording in Podcast Carry, which is in a networking place or a co-working place called called Vibe Carry here in Carry, and you had just done an event here. Right? I love this space that they've built here. It's a, a great event space for people that are putting on events, and it was just the, having the stage is the part that really yeah. uh, attracted me to it the most. Yeah, it's a cool space. So how did you get unstuck from shy introverted to networking guru? Now you're a keynote speaker, and you're coaching others on their journey. How did you get from there to here? It was just a decision, Joe. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it was. Had knew that my career in printing of 30 years was coming to an end. And I was thinking about, you know, what is it that I want to do moving forward? I knew I wanted to do something around referral marketing and networking, but I wasn't 100% sure how I was going to make that happen, make yeah. a living at that. And I just happened to see, be sitting in an audience one day watching a speaker 
And that's it hit me. It was like, that is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to become a professional speaker and I'll start doing speaking engagements, thinking that that particular speaker was getting paid. (laughs) 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 That was, that was a great lesson to learn, uh, that he was not getting paid and, but I have, uh, developed a business around speaking and coaching and writing and, and that's what, you know, I've been doing it now for, this is my seventh year Wow, doing it. So did you have any experience uh, in public speaking before this? Did you, were you a giant fan of networking or did it just, you just knew this was something that you needed to get into and you didn't have much experience with it? So yeah, those, those are great questions. So to first answer the, the, to answer the first one is I had very little experience in public speaking leading up to that. I had been in networking groups where occasionally you would get the opportunity to do your quarterly 10-minute presentation before the group. But overall, no, I had not been very adept at public speaking. Now, the in regard to networking so what i found was as a, somebody who wanted to do sales but also was more on the shy introverted side i learned that i was much better selling through relationships so developing relationships with people and then building on those relationships learning you know having a referral partnership as it's called with people. And so when I first got into real estate sales, first thing I did was I just called and emailed everybody I knew asking them, who do you know that might be looking to uh, buy or sell a home in downtown Brooklyn? And that, and that was how I started to build my base. Yeah. Now, nobody told me that what I was doing technically was networking, but I was. Then I, you know, I built on the relationships in that community, in the, uh, in the downtown Brooklyn community, just people that worked in the stores, people that owned little shops, people that I was friendly with in the community. So I was, again, it was through networking within my community that I built a very successful real estate business. Yeah. And that's just how I vote. And that's just how I do it. Do you think that there is a, a change in the idea of all the sales funnels and the automation and the, the kind of the new breed of marketing that you see with uh, companies like ClickFunnels and, and people like that where they can come across as a little, like a little bit of a shortcut, like this is the way you're going to get leads into the funnel. Do you think that right. that way is, is, is that just a new tool in the arsenal or is it a departure from, from something that's worked for a really long time, which is relational selling? I think that I'm I'm all about having multiple uh, methods when it comes to trying to get in touch with your prospects, your mm-hmm. your target client, and so I am I have no problem with click funnels and everything like that. That's if that's what you want to focus on, that's great. That and I had a business coach early in this part of my career that that's how he built his business was mm-hmm. doing that. That's not that doesn't work for me. I need it to be more personal. But I have you know if that's if you are somebody who's very what's the word I want to use? You're more well. I'm system oriented, but there are people that are much more. They can get much deeper into system orientation within mm-hmm. their business and they can perform that. They have the discipline to do that on because you've got to make sure if you're going to start it, you want to make sure that you're going to you're going to follow through with it. 
on a regular basis. Right. I could start a click funnel and then I could promise you in two months, I am not all of a sudden I'm going to say, I wonder, I don't even remember how to do it anymore. <laughs> and, and that, so I, yeah. I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. My strengths are picking up the phone and calling people, following up with people, uh, knocking on your door and, you know, just to say hi, that's, that's my strength. Yeah. I like that answer. I think that so many times people overlook the fact that it has to work for your personality. It has to be something that is lined up with your values and you as a person. And that's the smart way to go about getting your work done. Right. Uh, so I want to back up. You said the, the main way that it happened was just a decision. I just made a decision. Yeah. I want to know what was going on in your life at that time that oh that decision God. was made. Because those <laughs> kind of big decisions where you, where you do career altering things are very rarely just like, just cerebral. So what was going on? Well, I wish you had a couch in here and we can make this into kind of a therapy session. Uh, you want to know what was going on in my life at that time. But I'll just tell you real quick. The quick version is I had a business, the, a printing business that I had purchased after moving here in 2008, right before the recession. Oh, always 2008. Yep. Oh, that was five years, five and a half years of hell. At the end, I was shutting down my business and I was in the middle of a divorce. Uh, it was it was kind of like a, I just need to really make a big change. Yeah. That's just what was going on. I knew I needed to get out of the printing industry. I had tried once before. I felt a little bit like Al Pacino in Godfather 3, where he said, <laughs> every time I try to get out, they pull me back right. in. And that's kind of like how I felt. Somebody calls like- I was working uh, in real estate uh, again in downtown Brooklyn and- you know, and just after 9-11 happened, it just, it kind of rocked the market in downtown Brooklyn for a while. And I had a new baby and I need a new baby on the way and I needed to uh, bring money into the house. And I owned a, a building in downtown Brooklyn with a big mortgage and I needed to make sure money was coming in. So that's why I, I got back into the printing industry gotcha. at that point. So now you've you switched gears. You've been doing this for seven years now. You had like this this hypothesis that this is what I want to do. You saw yeah. the speaker on stage. What did what did it feel like to? What were those first early steps of momentum? Like how did how did you get your first couple wins under your belt? The first one I had was my first speaking engagement. I made a phone call, called the Chapel Hill Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. told them that this is what I'm going to be doing now. I'm going to become a professional speaker, and I'd love to speak for. I had been to their small business roundtable, which used to be very well attended. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I'd love to speak for the small business roundtable. Well, they happened to have an opening on July 3rd. 2013, mm -hmm. assuming that it was going to be empty. Right, right. And I said, well, I'll take it. Nobody wants the fourth. Well, it was one of their, their best, most well-attended uh, small business roundtables oh, wow. that they had had. And it was great. I had a room full, you know, I, had, you know, I don't know, 30 plus people, right. which is great for a first speaking engagement. I learned very quickly that it was a matter of picking up the phone and calling people I knew right. and just telling them what I was doing. Because that's the same thing that I, te that I teach people now and what I did when I got into real estate, when I bought my printing company. Pick up the phone and call people you know and tell them what you're doing. Yeah. And either A, who do you know that can use my services or is that something that, that you can use? Right. J J why do you think so many people have a problem doing that? Because it seems like it's such dead dumb common sense. Because people are afraid of bothering other people. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob Berg. 
Uh, he wrote the books, The Go. Endless Referrals. He's written the entire Go-Giver series. Yeah, that's a great book. A lot of what I learned from reading his material over the years is if you're bringing value to other people, then other people will be willing at some point to reciprocate. It's kind of like, again, going back to the Godfather. Sorry to bring up the Godfather <laughs> twice, but, you know, uh, the, you know, someday I'm going to call in a favor. Right. You know, you know, but the truth is, is that if you do for others in the long run, people will be willing to do for you. So I don't always like to go at it to people with the, hey, what can you do for me? Right. Uh, now, sometimes I do. But I try to always add value to other people's lives first before, and they, I may never have an ask. Yeah. Uh, but if I do, I'd like it to be on the built on the back of goodwill that I have put out there, whether to you or within the community. So you had you had started on this. Was it in an entirely new career path? Absolutely. Okay. So. How did you start to unpack some of the early lessons? Like what were some of the early impactful lessons to you and how did they, they change up what you, what you thought it was going to be versus what it was in reality? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I had that I learned early on was that it was going to be a lot more difficult than I thought it was. <laughs> As is any endeavor worth yes. pursuing. Yeah. yeah. If you look on, if you go on to, you know, on Google and Google becoming a professional speaker, there will be hundreds of articles that tell you it's going to be really easy. Yeah. Uh, just join my program. <laughs> and, and I came to find, you know, have come to find out that that is not necessarily true. I have a friend, her name is uh, Sharon Anita Hill, and she is a professional speaker. And so I had reached out to Sharon very early on, told her what my intention was. And Sharon said, Joe, you have to write a book. She said, that's first and foremost before you, you know, you, you, that yeah. will give you credibility. That's a big ante to put in for a career change, right? Is yeah. To write a book. Absolutely. Well, luckily for me, I had already written two books, uh, but I've never published them. Oh, okay. But I have written two fiction novels. So I had the discipline already to sit down and write a book. Right. So why do you think she thought it was so important that you write a book? Or she's written, I think, three or four books, and she found for her career that that was the the fastest way for her to gain credibility sure. in the markets she was trying to was. speak to. Absolutely. I've often heard it said that it's like a door opening thing to have a book. It's yeah. a fantastic business card. If you're going to choose between a list of speakers for your event and one of them has literally written the book on the topic right. that you would like to speak on, yeah. it makes the decision pretty easy for the potential client. You know, initially, I was known specifically as the networking guy. However, what I wanted to do was I, I didn't want to only be known for networking. I am relationship marketing okay. uh, or relationship sales, whichever way you want to put it. Mm -hmm. My first book was called Intentional Networking, and I still, I believe, super so strongly in networking because what happens is a lot of people say, oh, yeah, we're good on networking, but there's so much more to networking than just showing up at an event. Yeah. So if you can change the change the wording to relationship sales, relationship marketing, now that changes people's perspective. Right. They're not just thinking only about showing up at a networking event. Right. They're the biggest part that gets that people forget about so often is the follow-up aspect. Yeah. 
that is the area that people struggle with the most when it comes to networking or prospecting or whatever it is. The follow-up is where they they drop the ball the most. Yeah. And so I'm real big on that. And that's where that whole idea of having that perception changed by calling it relationship marketing. You yes. don't often, like how often does somebody that you know text you and you just leave them on red for a long time? It's just yeah. it's very I mean, uncommon. It's rude. I assume that you've grown your network pretty large. Is, is staying on top of follow-up becoming more and more difficult as you meet more and more people? So That's a, another great question. So one of the things that I do, Joe, is... I have a specific system that I develop for myself and then I teach it, whether through coaching or in some of my speaking engagements. It's about breaking people up into into different categories. You know, I call them A, B, and C prospects. Okay. And so the C prospects are obviously, you know, those are folks that as nice as they may be, you're just never going to do business with them. Or it's unlikely you'll ever do business with them. I should never say never. Right. But uh, it's unlikely. Sometimes you can tell. It's a C. Right, (laughs) right. I still believe, though, in uh, just saying, hey, it was nice to meet you at, you know, such and such an event last night. I hope to see you again soon. Mm -hmm. You know, the end, you move on. B prospects are people that it's a, there's still, there's a little bit of gray area there. You, there could be a possibility of either them at some point moving, you, they could potentially move to being an A prospect or they could be good for one of your referral partners. I'm very concerned about seeing my referral partners be successful. But then my A prospects or the people that I know are, I call them, that's where the gold is. You know, those are people that you know are either A, they, they have a need that you can fill, or they're working with your competitor or have worked with a competitor of yours. And you know that with time and a little bit of persistence right. and follow-up, that you will eventually be able to to win their business. So essentially, you have a plan going in that's going to take the stress out of what if I have 30 people I need to follow up Correct. with? You know exactly what you're going to do, and you just get it into that muscle memory kind of and, repeatable pattern. And you want to make sure that you are utilizing some kind of a follow-up system, whether it's a, a CRM which stands for Customer Relationship Management System, and there are many of them out there. They're even... Which uh, ones do you recommend for people getting started? So the three that I generally recommend to start off, let's just say, first is Zoho and HubSpot both have free platforms, Mm -hmm. and they're very robust. So if somebody's just starting out, those are great, and there are tons of videos on YouTube that'll walk you through setting it up and how to utilize it. And there are pl- plenty of people out there that you can also hire to help set it up for you if that's not a strength of yours. The uh, other one that I have, I have watched a demo of it and I've heard from many people that it's very good is actually, it's funny. It's got a funny name. It's called Less Annoying. <laughs> yeah. And, and I understand that that one is like one of the best out there for new, especially for people that are fairly new to uh, CRMs. However, that does not, that one does not have a free platform. Okay. So, but I understand the the cost is very low. When I first jumped in, I, I jumped on the HubSpot bandwagon and 
Like many people, I would imagine, have a similar experience to mine, whereas you're getting started. I was just starting up my business, small book of business, right. friends and family kind of stuff, just starting, like starting from nothing. And I've got all these enterprise solutions, like I'm Target, and I want to set up the most complex thing. And, right. um, and I found myself just chasing rabbit trails and really struggling. I probably should have done what you suggested is find somebody to help set it up. But ultimately, I went with a company called 17 Hats. You ever heard of those guys? Sure, I have. Yeah, I found that they they did 90% of what I wanted to do really easy without the amount of extra right. learning that I felt like I had to put into it. Yeah. As well as they allow me, I build websites to white label so I can integrate CRMs when I sell websites to people. Oh, that's which great. Is a, which is a useful thing for a lot of companies don't have a CRM in place yet when they are at a place when they very much should. And, yes. Uh, and um, a lot of industries sell very specific CRMs as well. That's what I was going to bring that up. So like just yesterday, I was working with one of my clients who owns a hotel in Mebane. We were looking at a uh, hotel or hospitality specific right. uh, CRMs for his business. Yeah. Uh, he's been using another one that was just kind of a generic CRM. It's not working for him. So we talked, you know, we yeah. were reviewing some of the hotel or hospitality specific ones. I can definitely see the benefit of that because in these industry specific ones, they've kind of eliminated some of the pain points with that industry right. with working with a general CRM. Yeah. And so that's why I think you run into so many people using their industry specific CRM. And and there is even a CRM that's specific for the speaking industry. That oh, I, is there? What's that yeah, one called? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't remember the name of it. it. You know, one thing I'm learning to do, Joe, is I'm getting, as I'm getting older, <laughs> is to, if I, if I'm not going to use it or if I don't need it right now, I need to just forget about it because my brain is just filled. With so much useless information, I need to start uh, doing a data dump <laughs> from my brain as I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah, do you remember like forever ago on Windows how you used to push the button to defragment your hard drive and it would take all the different colors and it would make them match? I feel like that's my brain every <laughs> yes, once in a while. Exactly. Gotta, it's going to take 12 hours, but I got to sleep, got to sleep and let this thing run its yes, course. Yes, exactly. So having been a public speaker now and being successful in that industry for, for some years, is there any secret sauce that you learned along the way for other people that are thinking about, I want to get better at either relationship marketing or maybe public speaking is something I would like to get into? The first thing is become an expert at what you're doing. So if you are hypothetically going to build websites for insurance companies, learn everything you can about what the pain uh, points for insurance companies are, what are people looking for when they're searching for a, an insurance company online? What is it that insurance companies, you know, what are their problems that they're having in, in getting their message across? So learn everything you can about your niche. Right. Okay. So that's the first thing if, in regard to if you're going to make a career change of some sort, whatever that career change is, First, you want to you want to niche it and then learn everything you can about it. For somebody getting into pro professional speaking, the first thing I would say is to a is make sure that you have an if you don't have instant credibility that you can go out there and start earning fees, make sure you have an, a secondary source of income coming in, which luckily when I first got into the business almost seven years ago, I did have a secondary source of income coming in because I had uh, closed my, my printing business, but I still had all of those previous clients. 
So I was able to bring that client base to another printing company and we worked out a deal where I was able to get income based off of sales off for that for about three years. So that helped me for those first three years to earn an income based on my, my previous client base. But not everybody's going to have that luxury. Right. So make sure that if you're going to become a full-time speaker, you don't just quit your job and say, I'm going to become a full-time speaker because I can promise you it'll be really, really difficult and you'll be very hungry. <laughs> Our title sponsors for this show are Diane Kinlaw and Jamie Tulak. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or wish to refinance, why not seek the counsel of a friend who happens to know the triangle housing market better than the back of her hand? As your local lender, Diane Kinlaw knows how important this area is to you because it's her home too. That's why she's made it a goal not to just be the best loan officer around, but a community leader supporting small businesses with referrals and networking events and supporting local charities with frequent fundraisers. If you're looking to move to Holly Springs or the surrounding area, or maybe interested in a refinance to lower your term or rate, Diane offers a wide array of programs to fit your family's needs. Let her be a part of your path home. A home doesn't have to be a dream. Let Diane make it a reality. You can contact us at www.goprime.com and search for Diane or call 919-624-9541. GoPrime Mortgage Incorporated, company NMLS number 69551. Diane Kinlaw, NMLS number 1600777. GoPrime is an equal housing opportunity lender. Today's show sponsor, Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty, has a passion for serving clients and nearly a decade of industry experience as a top producing realtor and designer. Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty will help you reach your real estate goals. Whether you're buying, selling, investing, or renting in today's market, having an experienced real estate expert working for you is crucial. And don't forget to ask her about her hometown heroes credit for military, police, firefighters, teachers, and medical providers. Contact Jamie Tulak today at 559-707-1913. That's 559-707-1913. MRP certified. At what point did you start to build out events? I've seen you do many events in our area here. When I first started, you know, in the first, let's say the first couple of months of speaking, I got a handful of speaking gigs that were, you know, small things. And I'll still take small speaking gigs because I just love speaking. But it was, I wanted to make sure that I was always going to have a speaking engagement at least once a month, minimum. So that's when I started doing my own events. Keep the axe sharp. Yes. And so that's when I started doing my own speaking engagements. So I had a friend. I don't know if you know her. Her name is Teresa Robinson. I said, hey, I want to start speaking. You want to partner with me and we'll do, you know, we'll just do different events at different places. And so that was how I started. We would just book a room and we would invite people through Eventbrite, you know, charge a very small fee. For a while, I was doing them for free, strictly to get uh, coaching clients. But I realized that that there came a point where I needed to start charging because the cost of the rooms were going up. I started offering breakfast or lunch or dinner for at least over six years, yeah. where every month, almost every month, I put on some kind of an event that will always add value to other entrepreneurs' lives. And when did coaching become a value proposition that you offered your client base? So I started working with a specific coach. Uh, his name was Brian Hilliard. Just a little 
after, you know, a little after I had started in the business, he wrote a book called Networking Like a Pro. And so somebody introduced us uh, and I hired him shortly after. And he was really pushing the coaching part for me. And so eventually what we did was we developed uh, a coaching program based around my keynote presentation because people were asking, do you do any kind of coaching on networking? And at that time I would say, no, 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 it's not my thing. But Brian really pushed me to develop the coaching program. Now it had a different name back then and the program has evolved over the past several years, but the name of that particular program is the Referral Marketing Success System. It's a system for growing your referrals and to network more effectively and more productively. Do you have a recommendation for people about how many hours a week they should spend networking? So here's my answer to that. If you're brand new at what you do, nobody knows you, and you have no clients, my suggestion is to go to at least one networking event a day to build brand awareness to get people in the community, especially if it's a business that's community related. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, you know, somewhere in Raleigh or in the triangle or whatever. However, there has to come a point you want to be more specific on the type of networking events you're going to. So like one, mine, I want to speak, I do speak for people in insurance and financial advisors. Okay. So I, Uh, Make sure that I am, you know, to some level involved with NAFA, which is the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors. That's so this way I'm staying in uh, contact with my target client. Right. But most people network in places where 99% of the people there will never have a need for their business. Right. So that's where I my I would rather see you go to one networking event a week or even per month that is going to be filled with people that will either have a need for your products or services or that you can uh, in turn actually refer people to yeah. in their I like that. That's very actionable. And it also speaks to the difference between when you're starting out and then how you should make that transition and start to focus on people that are your ideal client. Yeah. And how do you put yourself in front of those people instead of just the same potential networking group that you've been going to every week? Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. That doesn't mean I don't still go to some of those groups, though, because I, I developed a relationship sure. with people at some of those groups over the years. And so I, it's an easy way for me to go and connect with them once a month or yeah. whatever. Well, that's again, it speaks back to the relationship side of it. Just yeah. because there's less marketing doesn't mean there's any less relationship. Exactly. And you still need to keep that going as well. What kind of hardships or any kind of tough stories or tough lessons did you learn along the way that could have potentially either discouraged you or or knocked you off the course, but you you persisted and you made it through? Well, I mean, when, whenever anybody is starting in a new industry, let's say somebody has been an attorney for 25, 30 years, and I'm actually speaking about a buddy of mine who is actually going to transition into being a full-time executive coach. That's going to be a tough transition for a little while. Because that's going to mean that the the income that he is used to is not going to be it's I mean he could you know have a Cinderella story sure but it's unlikely 
You know, they are not, uh, the Cinderella stories are far and few between. So that means that it's going to be a couple of years of him having to really work it to network, to build his client base. Again, I was lucky that I had that source of income coming in. But uh, again, I want to reiterate the fact that I was going through a divorce. So there was a ton of money going out yeah. as well for, you know, on legal fees and having a new home and, you know, trying to keep my children happy. And, right. you know, so they, the, I mean, I was lucky that, you know, I had two sources of income now at that point. The financial aspect was a big part of it. So make sure that you, you have that in check right. uh, before you make any kind of a career change. And if you don't, I think that's that's an important critical building block. What were some of the things that kept you going though when stuff got tough? Well, number one was that that I was good at what I was doing, or at least that's what people were telling me. I hope they weren't yeah. just trying to make me feel better. <laughs> it felt rewarding. It yeah, felt like you had connected it did. to something yeah. you were good. I mean, at. they kept showing up, so I think I was doing <laughs> something right. And I love when I see somebody have an aha moment. There was this one gentleman, he came to one of my speaking engagements early on in my career. And he, I saw him about a year and a half ago. So that's about three and a half, four years in between. He came over to me and he's like, he knew me and I didn't know him. He right. said, I was at such and such a presentation. And I remember when you talked about growing your comfort zone rather than stepping out of it, that was life-changing for me. I loved hearing that, that, you know, that I made an impact on somebody. I have to imagine there's a lot of people that sit in in talks and in presentations and keynotes and that you are the speaker who are feeling like, man, I am, I am stuck. I don't know if change is even possible. I want to do something completely different and it sounds crazy, but I just know that it's what I should do. Right. And, and it makes sense that you say that's the thing that energizes you when people have those aha moments because you live that. Yeah. Like you got to walk through that. Yep. And that's one of those things that people find so inspirational. It's like, can it actually be done? Not by somebody on TV, not like a fake person where I don't know if it's real or not. But right. Like another human in my city, in my town that, that has done the thing that I want to do. And it might not be career specific. It might not be everybody wants to be a public speaker. Right. But oftentimes people struggle with finding real transformation and yeah. kind of getting the courage to take that first step. Well, if I, you know, so one of the things around that, Joe, is I know we make fun of social media all the time about the perfect lives that people are living right. on social media. I'm not a uh, proponent of people posting all their negativity as well on social media. However, what I do like for myself is, when I'm reading through other people's feeds sometimes, whether it's on Facebook or even LinkedIn, and they're complaining about their boss, they're complaining about yeah. having to go to work, they're complaining about, oh, another Monday or whatever it right. is. And I'm like, dude, I don't have that problem. Yeah. I love my boss because that's me. I wake up on Monday morning like, all right, what do we got? What do we have going this week? You know, so let's say hypothetically, you have always wanted to work as a farmer. You know, you're, you're this high paid uh, financial advisor and you're just done. You're ready to become a farmer and it's going to be hard, but you wake up every morning with, you know, you know that it's a, you know, you, you get to do what you've been wanting to do mm -hmm. for years or it's just some, it felt right. Or let's say you were a farmer and you always had a dream of being a financial advisor. 
So you know those are going to be some lean years at the beginning. However, you you've you know you know it's something you're helping people build their wealth. You're helping right. people to make changes in their life. You feel passionate about it. If you're feeling passionate about it, you could see you're making changes in other people's lives, or you're doing something that you've always dreamed of doing. Then it doesn't feel as so much like work as much as it feels like you you know you're living your dreams. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. That's the big part is that it doesn't mean it's easy to, to live your dreams. Otherwise, everybody would do it. Mm-hmm. I've often asked and I've, I find the answers, one, they never match. But I like to ask people that come on, different business owners, entrepreneurs, how long before the business started to feel less like you were Sisyphus pushing the rock up the mountain and rolling back down. And then it started to feel like it was working. Like at what point did that, that transition happen? In, in terms of years. Right. What was it for you? Well, okay. So, Joe, I'm still pushing the rock up the hill yeah. uh, a little bit. So, and I, but I don't mind because, again, because I love what I'm doing. Right. It's my business, my, my industry as a speaker is filled with uh, thousands of people that are willing to do corporate speaking engagements for free. Okay. Is that because their portfolio building, the market is flooded right now? They just, they need, they need experience in their. That or they're thrilled to get the opportunity to speak there. They think, right. It could be portfolio building. That's a great person. It could be they have another form of revenue. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, they're, I have done my share of uh, free engagements with companies and organizations. However, that means that it's a constant battle to make sure that you're getting paid for what you're worth. That means, number one, that I have to stay on top of my game, practicing and rehearsing my my presentations. I'm constantly improving on my presentations, mm-hmm. which, I, I mean, there are times my wife and I will be sitting there on a Sunday night, and I'm just on PowerPoint, just searching better photos and, you know, coming up with better ways of saying things. Now, I love that because that's the really the creative part of my business. Right. But it's also work. Right. You know, it's it's a lot of work. Then there comes the marketing part, Joe, where I have to pick up the phone and make those calls. I have to call event planners. I have to, you know, and follow up with them for years. I have one right now that I'm hopefully going to be speaking for at their next conference. We're in negotiations right now that I have been following up with this person for five years. Wow. And so the, the nice part was when I got the email back from her recently, she said, you are at, thank you for always following up with me. You are at the top of our list. I practice what I preach. Right. <laughs> but I love what I do. So you've mentioned a couple of times about the amount of other people that are in public speaking. I'm curious about your industry specifically with other public speakers. Do you find that there is a an increased sense of uh, competition because of that scarcity or is it a sense of cooperation? I like the word coopetition, which I'm very big on. So I'm always referring, if it's not a good fit for me, even if I know it could potentially be a good paying engagement, I refer people out all the time. I just referred my friend, Wendy Gates Corbett. I don't know if you know her. She is an amazing speaker. She speaks on her topic is uh, I belong, you belong, we belong. 
Uh, so it's about inclusion within the, you know, corporate inclusion with okay. you know, for people. I'm always looking to refer people out. That's my right. point. So that's what I mean by co-opetition. Yeah, define that for me. So co-opetition is, okay, so I'll give you an example. So as a, uh, a printer, they, if there was somebody that, oh, this is a great example. So somebody was a, a real slime ball back when I owned the Chapel Hill Printing. And he apparently, I didn't know, he had already screwed over about two or three other printers. Mm. Well, he, it was my turn. He hurt us for, we'll say about three to $4,000. So my buddy, the attorney I was talking about earlier, I called him and asked him, hey, should we, are we going to do a, you know, a lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. And his response was, Joe, the lawsuit, you'll end up losing more money in the lawsuit than you'll get back. He said, sometimes that's just the cost of doing business. Now, I could have said, well, I know he's going to hit my competitors down the street. But I decided to pick up the phone and call them anyway. And I told them what had happened. Well, that he had just been there. Oh. Yep. Co-opetition. So I'm not, we're competitors but we're cooperative with each other. Right. And it's, and we also refer stuff to each other. There are a lot of people out there, they don't believe in that. They don't want to stick their necks out or they don't want to potentially refer one of their competitors. That's a big mistake. I think that that actually makes you look stronger. Well, it goes back to your first, one of the first things you were saying is how do you add value? Right. How do you add value to right. a situation? How do you add value to a problem that they're trying to solve? And it's not by being like, oh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Always add value. So that's why I refer Wendy out. I've referred Jim Reckless. I refer Kevin Snyder. I refer Marcy Raider. I love referring them out whenever I have an opportunity, yeah. especially if it's around ish topics that I just have no experience with. Sure. And I had somebody ask me once if I could speak on leadership. Can I speak on leadership? Could I write a good program on leadership? The answer is yes, but it's not my topic. Yeah. So that I gave them uh, Kevin Snyder's information. Do you have any, any strategies or processes that you now have in place that you wish you would have put in place sooner in your business? Ooh, that's a really good question. I wish earlier that I was more clear on the specific people that I wanted to speak to, okay? And that's what, one of the things that I teach my clients is, now is be really specific on who it is that you want to work with. Mm -hmm. And now what I've done is I've developed a profile of this specific kind of companies that I want to market to. Yeah. Now, when it comes to my coaching, again, same thing. Before, I was kind of all over the place with the coaching initially. And again, you know, I was trying to bring in income. But I think if I was more clear about the fact that I was looking to coach uh, small business owners and sales professionals that used to work a corporate job and had no clue on how to bring referrals in, that was my, my ideal profile client. Of course, they had to have the money to be able to pay it. So that was the second part of the profile. <laughs> I love asking this question. Now that you've been doing this for as long as you have, you've had successful careers in, in, other, in other arenas and industries as well. Yeah. What do you find is the same across those? And what do you find is different? Like, are there any principles that underlie that like this just works everywhere? Yeah. Well, I can say for sure what works everywhere. And that is being kind to people. Yeah. 
kindness definitely counts. I know there are people that they're more in the mindset of, you know, it's just business. And, you know, if they screw you over, it's just business. It's not personal. That's not true. I am not a believer in that. It's just business motto. If I hurt you in any way, then that's personal because it's taking money from your family. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that if we're competition, that I'm not going to try and win the the business, but from coming from a place of integrity, it's really important that we always come from a place of integrity, kindness, treat people with respect. And and here's the one thing, Joe, I don't care what business you're in. If you are in some level of sales, business owner, you're selling uh, life insurance or you're selling uh, health supplements, you have to, have to, have to work your butt off. There, again, that's just all there is to it. You have to work hard. If you're not willing to work hard, then stop what you're doing and go get a job in a cubicle somewhere. It is an uphill thing to get a business started. Absolutely. If you want to keep the business growing, you've got to keep pushing that rock up the hill. Right. You got to create the hill because if you're not creating the hill, then that means you're just satisfied with the status quo. I am never going to stop pushing that rock up the hill right. until, you know, I have $6 million in the bank and I can retire and, <laughs> you know, go live, you know, a life of peace and luxury. But that's just not going to happen anytime soon. I can promise you that. So how then do you currently define success? There's a million different answers for defining success. I can tell you that I, there, I feel success for me, when I feel like I've done the right thing for people, when I'm able to pay all my bills, when my kids are seem like they're relatively happy, when my wife is happy, when my clients are having successes in their business, it's there. You know, when I wake up and I don't feel super anxious about you know the day ahead of me, that's that means you know I've hit some level of success. I can't define it in one. Uh, short sentence. Right. Maybe, maybe if I was going to put an equal sign, success equals contentment. No, content. Like I feel content. Yeah. You know. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so many people don't ever hit success because they don't spend the time to define it. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I feel. I think you just gave me some uh, homework there. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more question, and I love asking this question. So. You can borrow the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Yeah. And you get it for one minute. Oof. And you get to, the time's already set in. The time is that time seven years ago when you are on that precipice of starting out on this new path of becoming a public speaker. You get 60 seconds to talk to yourself. How would you spend that 60 seconds? Oh, wow. What a great question. Well, to not focus on all of those external industries, to focus on financial planners life insurance and casualty and property insurance people because that's that's my target market. Hey, this is what you want to do? Well, this is the these are the people you want to market to. And here's how. Yeah, you know, I'd give my as fast as I could. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Where can people find you? You got your yeah. website. What do you got going yeah, on? Yeah, so 
couple of things. Number one is my website is uh, joenovara.com. Real simple. So that's www.joenovara.com. And uh, you can also go to Amazon if you want to buy my books. First book is Intentional Networking. My follow-up book was Grow Your Network, Grow Your Business. Uh, You can also, I have a YouTube channel. Just look up Joe Navarra Speaker because I have a nephew who's a professional bowler named Joe Navarra, who's also on YouTube. But, uh, <laughs> so you have to say speaker. Yes. Right. When you look up my books, always look it up under Joseph Novara, because there's another author in Minnesota named Joe Novara. <laughs> so you're the Joseph. I, I am Joseph. I'll put links in the show description as well. Thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Joe. To you and Sharon what you have learned about being a relational marketer. Yeah, thanks. Uh, This was wonderful. All right, great, man. Everybody have a great day. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? 